Not only was the veil torn in Matthew 27, but when Jesus rose from the dead and 40 days later when he ascended into heaven, he went right into the Holy of Holies, the real one. Not some tent in the wilderness, not some temple in Jerusalem, but the very Holy of Holies himself. There is a man seated at the right hand of God today, and he's the one who bore my sin. He's the one who was punished for my sin. This gives me great hope. The Bible uses this hope. Look at verse 19 again. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. When your faith is in God, your faith is unshakable. God's unshakable. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Veil Was Torn. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Nobody took his life from him. He yielded up his spirit. He said, I have authority to lay my life down and I have authority to take it up again. He yielded up his spirit and behold, verse 51, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks were split, tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, uh, the next supernatural thing that took place, not only darkness at high noon, but verse 51, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil of the temple symbolized that which separates sinful man, me and you, and when I say man, I'm speaking of mankind, male and female, he created us in his image, and male and female, we've messed it up, and we are sinful. Sinful man is separated from the holy God by this veil. When God, uh, if you've ever tried to read the Bible through, you know, Genesis is narrative and it reads pretty, pretty good. You get to Exodus and the first 20 chapters or so are quite a bit of excitement and, you know, narrative of what's going on. But I think oftentimes we grind down and maybe you've stalled out in the book of Exodus at about chapter 25 because at chapter 25 he's got Israel out there in the wilderness and he begins to give them instructions for the tabernacle the tabernacle was to be right in the middle of the Israeli camp and it was where God's presence would dwell in their presence right in the center of camp and he gave detailed instructions from chapter 25 to almost 35 uh, about how to build the tabernacle. Details that we kind of, we go, what is this? You know, 
what kind of skin to use for this, what, how, what kind of weaving to do for that. And you'll see constantly through that, uh, those sections, you shall make it this way, you shall make it this way. I want it made this way. And there was this holy place and then the holy of holies. And separating the holy place where the priests could go and make sacrifice to the Lord Then there was this veil, and then the most holy place, the holy of holies. When the Hebrew repeats something, it's like saying the holiest, the holy of holies. And uh, this was prescribed for them, and between this was this veil. And the veil was specifically told how how to be woven and everything and where to put it in chapter 26 of Exodus, 10 chapters later. And what happens in Exodus, just since I got into that, telling you about that, he... He not only spends about 10 chapters saying how to make it, then the rest of the book from 36 to 40, the refrain isn't you shall make it, but he made it. (laughs) They made it. They did it just as Moses had been commanded. Just like the Lord said, they did the tabernacle. And uh, so in chapter 36, they made the veil and it's called the screening veil in Exodus 39. And, uh, If you have, I won't have you turn there, but I'll just read you the last verse of chapter 39. It's kind of a summary verse. Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it, just as the Lord had commanded. This they had done. So Moses blessed them. Then you get to Leviticus, and he starts saying, now here's the offerings I want. And all these things were a picture of, and meant to teach us about the reality that you can't just come into the presence of a holy God. Ever since sin entered the world, we've got a sin issue. And so the sacrifices are detailed. And then I come to Leviticus 16, and I want to read this because uh, the, it starts this way. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And if you've read Leviticus... Aaron, the high priest, had two sons, Nadab and Abihu, four sons, but two of them had the audacity to decide they could just go before the Lord any way they wanted. And they brought other fire, strange fire, before the Lord, and fire went out from the Lord and destroyed them. And it's a very clear picture, not more than a picture, it was a reality, that you don't just come into God's presence any way you like. And of course, I say this because today, take a poll in Portland. And if people believe there's a power or a God, uh, they'd say, as long as you're sincere and try hard or whatever, you can come to God any way you like. And that's always been man's thinking. But God says, no, no, not at all. Well, after his two sons had died, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not, not the high priest even, Aaron shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat in which is, which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And then he devotes a chapter to describing what we know of as Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Once a year, Aaron, the high priest, could go behind the veil. And he wasn't to go until he'd slaughtered a bull for his own sins and then took two goats 
one goat for the Lord and one as a scapegoat. That's where we get our term. And he took two goats, and he took the two goats in the presence of the whole congregation, and they cast lots to find out which one was for the Lord and which was a scapegoat. And the one that was for the Lord was slaughtered and sacrificed for their sins. And the other one, Aaron, would lay his hands on the head of the goat. And you can all read that. It's just a about two pages of reading in Leviticus 16, Yom Kippur. But he was to lay his hands, and that's a way of identifying, and lay his hands on the head of the goat. And then they took the goat and shooed it out into the wilderness, and it carried away the sins of Israel from the camp. So one died, picture Christ, and the other carried the sins. You'll never see him again, picture Christ. Both pictures. That was to happen once a year. And uh, the veil, when the veil was torn, this is supernatural. And it was torn from top to bottom. God did it. That sacrificial system, all those pictures of the coming one, that's all retired now, okay? That's done. The way into the very presence of God has been made clear. The veil is torn. And so you read here, the veil, the temple, because Solomon, when he built the temple, he built it after the pattern of the tabernacle. And so when Herod built the temple later, this temple that they had in this day still had these imagery, this imagery, and the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, turn in your Bible to Hebrews, Hebrews toward the end of the New Testament because uh, Hebrews is written, as you might guess, to Hebrews, Jewish people. And you want to understand the Jewish context of Christ and the whole truth of God. Hebrews is a great book. And uh, Hebrews 6 says this, verse 17, In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath in order that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. If you read the book of Hebrews, it's all about the fulfillment of all this in Jesus. And not only did the, was the veil torn in Matthew 27, but when Jesus rose from the dead and 40 days later when he ascended into heaven, he went right into the Holy of Holies, the real one. Not some tent in the wilderness, not some temple in Jerusalem, but the very Holy of Holies himself. There is a man seated at the right hand of God today, and he's the one who bore my sin. He's the one who was punished for my sin, this gives me great hope. And I don't mean like I hope the Blazers make the playoffs. You know what I mean? We hope this, we hope that. No, 
The Bible uses this hope. Look at verse 19 again. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. When your faith is in God, your faith is unshakable. God's unshakable. Your faith might be weak, mine is, but I've got an object of faith that's unshakable. Well, hope is just another way of stating that, and it's looking to the future. Faith looks back to the cross. Hope looks ahead to the truth that there's a man at the right hand. He's inside the veil. All this is symbolized here, and I bring it to our attention because the Bible does. The veil was torn. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all point this out. Well, let's get back to Matthew 27. The veil of the temple was torn in two. The earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened. There was an earthquake. By the way, earthquakes in the Bible, and I'd even say earthquakes not in the Bible, always teach us the power of God. You know? Have you ever been in a real earthquake? I don't mean these little shimmers that you think, did something happen? When God shakes the earth, he gets our attention. Well, when Jesus died, there was an earthquake. And the Bible teaches, Zechariah 14, that when the Lord goes forth to fight, when he comes back, the Old Testament spoke of his time on the cross, his first coming, and his time on the throne when he comes back and is seated. When he goes forth to fight, Zechariah 14.3, and his foot touches down in verse 4 on the Mount of Olives, right where he left, the earth is going to be split in two. There's going to be this great earthquake. And Hebrews 12 says, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. People talk about the big one. That's going to be the big one. And uh, here, when Jesus died, there was this earthquake. And notice, coming out of the tombs, many of the tombs, verse 52, were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. There was a uh, resurrection of some, not all, but some, many, it says. Saints, people who had believed in God and trusted him, Old Testament saints, whom when Jesus rose, they rose, and it's kind of a picture of the final resurrection when all who know Jesus Christ will have life. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. Jesus is the firstborn, and as you read this, it's Luke or Matthew is careful to tell us that after his resurrection, they made some appearances. We don't know anything more about it. We could speculate. People do. They say, how long did they last? How long did they stay around? Did they die just like regular? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that it was a little picture of the truth that all who are in Christ will live forever. Now the centurion and those who were with him, verse 54, keeping guard over Jesus, this Roman centurion, over a hundred troops, an officer, and he'd seen plenty. When he saw and they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening... They became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son 
of God. Would I say the first conversion? Well, I don't know. I know he said, this is the Son of God. But I wouldn't say the first conversion. In fact, we looked at that last time, didn't we? When Jesus hung on the cross, there was that guy who finally woke up and cried out and said, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. And that was the first conversion you know, from the cross, was the thief on the cross. But here we've got a second life changed. And I got to think that this man saying, truly, this was the Son of God. We're not told anything more. But I do know this, that the Bible teaches that if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. When you come to Christ, confess him as such. When you believe in your heart, then confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you'll be saved. Well, this man's life was changed, but that's not all. Many women who were there looking on from a distance who'd followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among them was Mary Magdalene and also with Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. I'll just uh, say something that I said at Easter. Uh, Women were the last ones there in death, watching and as they put Jesus' body, and you compare the four Gospels, and they saw where they'd laid him, and women were the first to show up on Resurrection Day. Uh, they have a special role. They were last at the, or at the tomb of death, and they were first at the empty tomb and to find out that he's not here. He's risen. Well, verse 57, when it was evening... There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man came to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given over to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Don't miss this because it was prophesied way back in Isaiah 53 that he would be with a rich man in his death. And God underlines the detailed prophecies that were fulfilled. This was prophesied. God saw to it that the details were fulfilled. And then I would also note that once Jesus died, once they ran that spear into his side and water and blood came out, once he was dead, it seems as if God said, that's enough. And I read of no godless hands mistreating his body or doing anything not even touching him Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus by the way John tells us came and took his body down and wrapped it in linen cloths and used spices and I just simply say the Bible doesn't prescribe what we should do with bodies But I find today there's kind of a disdain of the body. And I would just simply point out that in the Bible, 
they did bury their dead. And uh, he doesn't tell us what to do, but actually he did say to Mary, didn't he, when, they, when she anointed him, he said, and they criticized him, criticized her. Remember he said, hey, she's done what she could, and she's anointed my body beforehand for burial. She did it while she could. If she'd have waited till we're going to find out, she wouldn't be able to anoint his body. It's already gone. So he even extolled it in that way. But uh, I want us to see this because he puts it here for our instruction. Uh, verse 57, Joseph himself had become a disciple of Jesus. Keep your finger here and turn over to John 19. John 19. Verse 38. Right after they pierced him and didn't break any of his bones, didn't need to, he was already dead. After these things, John 19, 38. Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus but a secret one for fear of the Jews. That's a detail we wouldn't have known. Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. He came, therefore, and took away his body. Here's another changed life. Not only do people come to Christ, but when you really see the cross and what took place, Sometimes it gives strength to those who are secret disciples because of fear of what people might think. We're specifically told Joseph was a disciple, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. And then look at verse 39. Nicodemus came also. Remember Nicodemus? Came to him at night in the dark. I want to pick it up here next time. Because we're not told that Nicodemus was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews, but in close context, it looks to me like he was too. And both of them were emboldened to come forward and ask Pilate for this accursed body. And they identified with the crucified one. And uh, there's some lessons for us there, so we'll come back to this and pick it up at that point. But today, let me ask you, have you realized that the veil is torn your only access to the holiness of God is through the veil. And the book of Hebrews says the body of Jesus is the veil. He tore that veil and he is there at the right hand of the Father. And I can go right into God's presence because the veil is torn. The blood has been shed. My sins are as far as that goat could carry him out in the wilderness. You know, as far as the east is from the west, the day of atonement has happened. And the access to God is available. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Veil Was Torn, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who's been crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that I'll never see my sin again. Everything you've ever done was placed on another. And we know God was satisfied that the payment was paid because he raised him from the dead, never to die again. The wages of sin is death. Jesus, the sinless, infinite, perfect Lamb of God, died, and death could not hold him. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Just As He Said. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.